Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. So I had forgotten that I was actually more aware of this film than I had remembered. So the the title itself, which I can't actually pronounce, uh, Pather Panchali or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it it is part of a trilogy of films called the Apu Trilogy, which I'm sure you, you noticed. Yes. And that trilogy has been on my radar for several years. It, it comes up on a list of, you look up like, recommended all-time great movies to watch from Roger Ebert or AFI or whatever, and I would see this Apu trilogy and hadn't really ever researched too much about what it was. But but it was showing up as, hey, these are some of the great historic movies you need to see. And I ended up putting this one on the list, you know, two years ago, and probably wasn't until I sat down to watch it or even after I watched it that I realized, oh, this is the Apu trilogy. Yeah, there was a couple places where I read that people consider this like the best Indian movie ever made. Like some people have this in their top 10 greatest movies of all time list. Yes. I don't think it's necessarily that high on my list. No, but. and I think we've we've had a lot here to start off uh, season three of this podcast of the, the movie Vegetables, where this was definitely kind of slow going, but at the same time, I kind of got a little emotional at the end and actually even more so. So I was explaining to my mom the day after I watched it, like just about some of like the uh, emotional moments there. And I almost started tearing up explaining it more than actually during watching the actual film. Cause like it is a really good heartfelt story and basically an amateur production. I mean, they all be kind of became professionals, but it was like the debut for the director, the debut for the cinematographer. The actors were mostly non-professional and they I just kind of watched something saying they didn't even really rehearse. They just yeah. did this movie and won a, won a lot of awards, yeah. And looking at the cast, it looks like the family, at least the father, the mother and Apu might all be an actual family in real life. Oh, I missed that. Okay. So they all they all have the same last name. Oh, okay. I am seeing so that. So if you look at, yeah, they all have the same, is it B- Banerjee? Yeah, Banerjee, or however you would say that, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Kanu, Karuna, and Subir, and then the young Durga is Runki. So I think I think they're all an actual real family that the director found. Right, because even if that's a crazy common name, well, even in the States, what are the odds that all the family would be named Jones or Smith? So... It's, right. uh, yeah. But that explains that explains the uh, the palpable chemistry between the mom and the dad, yeah. or you know when they're when they're talking to the son. You know, it's like I noticed that it was it was very realistic. You know, their interactions, and I was like, man, they, these guys are like this is their first time acting. That that's a uh, that's some real talent. But I guess it it explains some of that that they're that if they were all an actual family. Which is interesting. When I watched the writer, the Western from last year set in South Dakota by the Chinese director. Anyway, there was it was on my top ten list and I thought it was something I had never even seen or heard of that like the main family was actually, you know, the, the main character, the guy playing his dad was his actual dad, the girl playing his sister was his actual sister, but yet it also wasn't their real lives. It was just kind of loosely based on his own life and just they kinda of made a narrative from that. This yeah, this is 60 years ago in a similar kind of concept. Now it's based on a series of novels or a novel, but yeah, just kind of a 
the idea of and uh, non-professional actors and actually pulling it off. Yeah, it was a little slow, but it's also, I mean, a lot of movies from the 1950s are slow by today's standards. But yeah. it is almost kind of mesmerizing watching this film. And we'll go ahead and get into the the story. So, well, what? One more thing, uh, while we're still while we're still uh, on the subject of the cast, the old aunt uh, in the movie. Oh, she was awesome. Yeah, so she c- comes on screen like within the first five minutes, and when I first saw her, I was like, "Man, she looks old." Like, I wonder how old she actually right. was. Like, oh, right, she looked like ninety or ninety-five. Yeah, she. So she was eighty years old, and she actually died in nineteen fifty-five, the same year the oh, movie came my out. Gosh. She. She died before it came out, but apparently the director like went to her house and showed her a projection of the movie so that she could see it before she died. But she, yeah, she died in, in 1955, oh, wow. the same year the movie came out. And that kind of, I guess, I think highlights the idea of these movie vegetables. We both kind of talked about being a little bored by this movie, but we're also both talking about these exciting little moments from it and these things we really liked from it. So again, it goes to the fact that, yeah, you know what? Some of these might be kind of tough watches, but you don't regret watching them. And it's not like they're bad movies; right. they're just a little slow. But again, this this is a very impactful movie. It, I think it, it it is very important, and I'm glad it kind of came up on this list. So uh, narratively, I kept waiting for like a big event, like something to happen to trigger the plot. And then about halfway through, you kind of realize there's not a plot so much as this is just a slice of life. You're getting to know these people in this world, and we have similar movies that deal with this idea of appreciating everything in a way that we just don't in our culture today where you know the old woman is so so proud of the shawl she has because it'll keep her warm at night and you know even stealing a a piece of fruit is a big deal because we don't have a lot of things or or the beads and of course that's the part i started almost crying about when i was telling my mom the story of the the stolen oh yeah Anyway, so we actually meet, even though it's called the Apu Trilogy, we meet the girl, Durga, first, and she is stealing fruit from uh, an orchard, and everyone's kind of talking bad about her and kind of blaming her mom for not, you know, taking care of her, keeping track of her kid, and it's just their lives. They're they're kind of poor and don't have a lot, and you know, the, the little boy is being woken up for school, and he's all groggy. Yeah, and and when we when we say poor, I mean, like literally about as poor as you can get in the movie they reference their rich neighbors a lot and their rich neighbors like still live in a mud hut they still live you know they still have to bathe and wash their clothes in a river right you know they uh there's at at one point at the beginning of the movie i think uh it's when uh the mother's talking to the dad because he says he wants to be a writer because he's a priest right yeah and he wants to be a writer and she says two good meals a day and new clothes twice a year what more could we want like that's that's like the aspirational level that's what their like max wealth is in their minds is right being right. able to eat twice a day yeah and every once in a while getting in some new clothes right and over oh, again i guess we, we should say too so yeah, the movie is from 1955 and it's based on novels from the 1920s i think late 20s and then those were set in the 19-teens, which is why it puts it on our timeline here uh, in the early yeah. 19-teens and just before uh, we'll get into World War One in our next few weeks here. So I know it's kind of jumping ahead in the timeline a little bit, but I think it's important that we talk about the fact that it came out in 1955 mm. just to kind of set the context. Of the film the, itself, the movie yeah. Is, yeah, the, the movie is kind of made as this like, you know, this callback 
to a pre-partition India, or okay. specifically a pre-partition Bengal, because the the director, and this is probably an incorrect pronunciation, but Satajit Rai is how it looks on Wikipedia, at least. That's pretty good, because yeah, because it's spelled Ray, but yeah, I heard too that it was Rai. Yeah. Yeah. So he's Bengali, and the, obviously we're going to talk about this more when we talk about Gandhi. But in in 1947, you have the split in India, the partition where the British government partitions India into Pakistan and India. And Bengal, which is where this guy's from, uh, was actually split into two parts, and half of it stayed with India, and the other half went to Pakistan. Okay, I get confused there, because what about Bangladesh? Where does that come into play? So th- when they when they draw the, the line for the border, they draw it along um, religious lines. And so Bengal, the province of India, is split into a western half, which stays in India, and that's a uh, majority Hindu okay, population. Yes, yes. And then the eastern, the eastern half is majority Muslim, and that becomes East Pakistan. So this is this is actually before Bangladesh as a country. Okay, because obviously, I mean, uh, for those not looking at a map right now, Pakistan is on the west side of India. So that's why I was confused right. because Bengal, Bengal's right. in the east. Yes, eagle-eyed eagle-eyed listeners will notice that there is only one Pakistan today, and that's because in 1948, which was right after the partition, they made the national language of Bengal, or at that point, East Pakistan. Mm. Um, Actually, it was called East Bengal still in 1948, but they made the national language Urdu because that's the national language of Pakistan, and there were all these protests. And then in 1952, there was a protest where a bunch of protesters got killed at the University of Dhaka in uh, East Bengal. And then in 1955, which is the same year the movie came out, they renamed East Bengal East So the fact that this movie comes out in 1955 and is like, it's a Bengali uh, language movie, and it's about, you know, a slice of life in pre-partition Bengal, you know, it's like a sweet memory of an earlier time where they're, you know, all they had to worry about was where they were going to get their food. And, you know, all this all this conflict didn't exist yet. But, you know, you talk about Bangladesh in 1971, there was a there was a war, you know, like there usually is. And East Pakistan ended up becoming Bangladesh in 1971. Okay. well, yes, thank you for that. And actually, that's that is good context that I hadn't thought about. I was more kind of focusing on just the language itself. We always think of India and, and the language Hindi, but it's not a monolith that you do have, you know, up in Pakistan, it's it's Urdu. And then over here in the, in the east side of India, in the Bengal area, it was Bengali. So right. uh, there, there is kind of disparate languages here, each with their own cultures and everything. And, and again, it's just very easy for us to whitewash it all as, as one thing but every everything's unique especially when we talked about with uh embrace of the serpent where all those amazon amazon tribes they might be six miles apart and speak a completely different language so of course when you get over to uh these other parts of the world you're going to have more localized languages and uh and distinct cultures and everything yeah and there's a there's actually a, and, and this is kind of a a call ahead to the probably to the Gandhi episode but there is a really good video that Vox did. It's a, a, a YouTube video talking about on the western side of India the the partition lines, how they were drawn and where they were drawn, and specifically how it affects the Muslim and the Sikh communities along the border. Where prior to 1947, a lot of them are are living together in peace and harmony just fine, and then all of a sudden 
British government draws a line and says, hey, this is about to be two countries move one way or the other. And there's, you know, huge mass migration each way, which is never good. And obviously comes with, uh, you know, a lot of violence and problems that are still causing problems to this day, 75 years later. And we've seen the reverse of that in Ireland, where there was the horrible violence when the border was more distinct and, and more a stricter border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. That's when all the violence was. And then when you had the introduction of the EU and more free flowing traffic of you know goods and people and everything, my understanding is that's the biggest thing that helped drop the violence. And now they're worried with the uh, Great Britain pulling out of the EU that that violence could escalate. And that was, of course, the Protestant Catholic line, just like you're talking here with this, uh, the Sunni and the Shia or whatever. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, drop, dropped the violence. Uh, um, at time of recording, there is no war in Ireland. But uh, yeah, who knows? Oh, true. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, we should note we're recording this on August 1st and uh, it's not coming out until uh, actually I checked my calendar, November or December. So uh, fingers crossed, Logan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, back to the back to the movie. But again, it, again, the, the plot is secondary. It is just slice of life. You're meeting the little girl and her brother. It's more even just like it's appropriate to talk about the personalities, and then we we kind of get to the third act where we get to get into the plot. But the the girl is kind yeah. of uh, actually a lot of the characters are rambunctious, and so that's what's kind of neat. Is like the the old lady is. I mean, I even used the word rascal in my notes. She's just kind of ornery, and the yes. little, little yeah. girl is kind of you know, stealing fruit, but has a good heart and the little boy, they just want to play. And I think what this highlighted for me, and I get this a lot when I read, you know, novels from the 19th century or whatever, just how, how people are just always the same. And so, yes, in a 1955 movie about 19 teens Bengali, you see this common humanity and you're like, oh, that was just like me growing up, or that's just like my family in these ways. And Man, I, I think that's why things like this are important, just to open up your eyes to the experiences of other people throughout the world, which is, again, why I like to include these movies on the list. And it's it's important for contemporary cultural appreciation and not just looking at, you know, the history of you know what we're doing with this project. Yeah, it's it's important to watch stuff like this, you know, if for no other reason. I mean... I think people would appreciate the the story, even though it is kind of slow and it, you know, for some people it's hard to watch a movie in black and white or watch a movie with subtitles. But yeah, just to see, you know, the shared humanity, the commonalities between when you think about it in your head, like what do I have in common with a person who's growing up in Eastern India in 1910? And, you know, you see something like this. Oh, actually quite a lot. Right. You know, w way more than is different, honestly. I mean, it's, yes, yes. Everybody's worried about money. Everybody's worried about, you know, the parents are worried about their kids. You know, when there's when there's no food, they're worried about food. The mom and, and she's worried about how she's going to look in front of the other neighbors. Yes. Um, if she's borrowing too much money from the from the rich neighbor. I mean, that's that's stuff that you could very conceivably find in a movie made today about, you know, suburban america right the girls teasing each other about boys now yes again they're talking about arranged marriages and finding matches or having their parents arrange matches but they're still kind of like planning their weddings and, and giggling about boys and uh there's a scene where the kids are playing tic-tac-toe in school i, I thought it was neat too so like the traveling 
uh, candy salesman is kind of going door to door and asks if they would want any sweets. And then they don't, they can't get any money from their mom. So the guy goes on to the next place, but then the kids just follow him anyway. And, and in my mind, I was just like, Oh, they're just following the ice cream truck equivalent in, in 19, <laughs> 19, 19 teens, uh, Bengali here. So again, yeah. just, just those commonalities. Yeah. Oh, when, uh, another instance of the, uh, you know, the common shared humanity is when they go to the play. Yes. Where the uh, the acting the acting troupe comes to town, and I wrote in my, my notes here, uh, Apu's go to the play, and then the uh, in parentheses Indian Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, the, yeah, the the show they watch is is yeah. uh, is very much, I guess, uh, uh, the kings yeah, the, and queens uh, and the struggle thing. Yeah, the, it's like the king was like uh, upset at his son in law. And the the daughter is trying to save him, and then the king's brother is also trying to kill the son-in-law. And then by the end of the play, it's a four-way sword fight between the king, his son-in-law, his daughter, and his brother. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, and then also then the follow-up is then they go home, and the and the little boy wants to dress up like the people in the play he just saw. Yeah, and his mom whoops him for making a costume out of all of her foil that she was going to use in the kitchen oh <laughs> right that's and then he why later, she's mad yeah. at him and then he later steals paper from his daughter or from his sister yeah but she's yelling at him saying that he, you know she he used up all the all the foil to make his his prince costume but i mean you know that's no right that's what a little boy would do right not necessarily stealing foil specifically but that yeah. that just you know doing something because you know you wanted to you know play or you wanted to have this you know make a costume or something and then you know upsetting your mom because you use the wrong thing i mean i i think that's something that everybody can relate to <laughs> exactly exactly and uh and i, and I do want to mention this so this is about the point in the show where so they all go over to the the neighbor's house and you know, the, the neighbor kid has some beads and then we come back to the home of our main characters and the mom of the better off family comes over with her kids and basically, you know, I'd say knocking on the door, but there's not really even a door. Anyway, she's just really mad because right. their, be- their beads have gone missing and Durga must have stolen the beads and we demand that they give them back. And Durga denies it and basically kind of comes to nothing because, I mean, if they don't know where they're at and, you know, obviously mom says, all right, we'll find them, we'll bring them back. But how do you know she took them? And they kind of just move on and and i gave durga the benefit of the doubt i mean yeah she's stolen some fruit but i i we didn't they don't show us her stealing the beads and she didn't seem necessarily that that interested in them i didn't think um i'm trying to think at what point the father goes out basically he gets a gig to perform some baptisms even though they are it is a, a hindu thing you, you always think of baptism associated with christians but it is a it does seem to be a hindu baptism of, of whatever sort and Oh, the train. So I thought I did think that was interesting that basically at one point, like the little boy doesn't even believe that his sister has seen a train before just because like that's such a crazy idea. And they go and uh, they do finally then go and see a train with you know, the brother and sister together and just kind of just share this moment of awe of seeing the train. And then it's on the way back from that that they run across the old woman and she is dead. And yeah. And just kind of, she's just out in the middle of nowhere. So just, just this kind of idea that everyone's just always vulnerable, and it does, you know, seem to be highlighting that it's due to the poverty, and they just kind of have to move on. 
So yes, dad is gone at this point. That actually, he, he writes that the baptism job fell through. I guess by the time he got there, two of his clients' sons had died. So it kind of just eliminated the whole ceremony. But he's going to try to find some work while he's out, you know, wherever he is in another part of the country. He must be far enough away because he stays away for like five months or something. Much of the mom's grief. Yeah, and that was kind of interesting. And it's something that, you know, in the communication age that we live in now where you and I are on literally opposite sides of the world and we're able to record this together. Right. But back then, this guy was like two cities over and his wife didn't hear from him for five months. Right, right. And he could write letters, but he, he wasn't. And so she just does, doesn't know even know what to think. So also on their way back from, from seeing the train and finding the, the dead woman, around this time, there's a storm and Durga gets sick and... I, I wasn't that worried, Logan. I, I thought she was going to be fine. The the, the doctor comes by and says, like, oh, nothing to worry about. Just make sure her fever doesn't get too bad. I'm like, okay, okay, good, good, good. And, you know, and we're waiting for Dad to get back. And oh, I even, like, said, like, oh, no, like, out loud when uh, when, when Durga died, when she got sick oh, and died. Yeah. Although they do kind of foreshadow that at the beginning. They talk about, you know, her mom, like, feels her head. And it's kind of a throwaway thing, like, oh, do you have a fever today? Uh-huh. So maybe interesting. They, they do they kind of, you know, hint at it like maybe Durga is having, you know, these re- you know, regular bouts with, you know, this this fever illness. Huh. And maybe her immune system just has to work overtime after she gets sick from being out in the rain. But yeah, no, I was the same way. I was like, oh yeah, you know, you probably got a cold. You gotta, you know, blow your nose. Gonna have the sniffles for a little bit. You know, <laughs> drink some hot cocoa or whatever the Indian equivalent is in 1910, and yeah. uh, you'll be fine. And then, uh, yeah. And then, and then they and just, but just also just how artfully and skillfully they handle it. And again, this. I don't want to undersell this director, who, again, is someone I had never heard of, but I also did just saw, like, the clip on YouTube of him winning an honorary Oscar in the early 90s, and they kind of had him telecast into, like, the 1992 Oscar ceremony from, like, his bed in India, where he was, you know, very, very old, but, again, this he's he's that kind of guy, you know, gets down on an Oscar, wins lots of awards. Anyway, so I handled this scene, so the dad finally comes home, and he doesn't know, because, of course, again, like you said, with the communication, it's just not there, so... Mom hasn't told him. He shows up. He's all kind of happy-go-lucky. He's kind of made some money. He's got some presents. And the mom is just kind of blowing him off. Like, she's just, just kind yeah. of mad. She just, like, just like keeps, like, just tidying up and cleaning. And just kind of, she half acknowledges that he's there and isn't, you know, just doesn't even seem to want to really engage. And then he starts, like, he just kind of, you know, shows up. Oh, I got this for Apu. I got this for whatever. And I got a new sorry for Durga. And the mom grabs it just kind of delicately at first and then just starts sobbing and wailing and weeping uncontrollably. And I don't even know if she says it exactly, but the father, you know, obviously figures out that his daughter is dead and that's how he finds out. And yeah. it's it's heartbreaking. And they basically just like the house is in search of just repair anyway. Let's just move. We just you know we need a fresh start. Let's move out of town. And we'll start a new somewhere else. It's not, again, it can't, things can't get any worse. I mean, the house is already in ruins, so let's just move somewhere else. And as we see the boy kind of climbing a shelf, and he kind of grabs a little pot off the top shelf, and it breaks on the ground, and the beads appear. They were hidden in the bowl there. So we, that's like the moment we learned that Durga had stolen the beads. 
and yeah. I'm getting chills now just thinking about it. So he, so the little boy grabs them up and goes and throws them in the pond so no one will ever yep. find them and know that his sister stole the bees. And oh my yeah. gosh, oh, I'm about to cry right now. It's it's so it's so <laughs> so powerful and yeah, it's oh just so well handled. And I think a lot of that scene between the mom and the dad, it probably is reliant a lot on uh, really good direction from the director, but I think a lot of it too is the mom's performance. Oh, absolutely. Is incredible. And she actually, for the, uh, the second movie in the Apu trilogy, uh, she won a BAFTA for her role in that movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. In, in like 1956 or 1957, whenever the, I, it was a couple years later, I okay. think, but yeah, so she won a BAFTA award for, uh, for best actress that year for, for her performance in that movie. So yeah, so. as essentially a non-professional actor. Right. That's crazy. I did want to mention the author of the books because it did say on Wikipedia here that this uh, the book that this movie is based on is autobiographical, uh, at least to some extent. So I think the author of these books is kind of basing the little boy's experiences off of his own life. And he did say he grew up in poverty and then kind of grew up to become a teacher and a writer. So the box office numbers for this movie are insane oh the uh the budget for the movie which it gives a range so there's i i couldn't find a specific budget it says seventy thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand, um and that's in rupees but at the box office it made 100 million rupees oh my on a 150,000 rupee budget so about a thousand wait is that a thousand full profit almost yeah holy cow huh that's fascinating because they yeah basically had next to no next to no budget and I'm guessing everybody yeah. that spoke everybody that spoke Bengali saw this movie, plus then the international attention that it got. Right, and I think it was re-released as well. And yeah, true. That always at helps. a later time. So I'm sure that that's all that all gets rolled into it. But still, I mean, those are some <laughs> those are some big numbers for a, uh, a movie that that was made for so 150,000 rupees is thirty one thousand dollars. Oh wow. So that's that's that was the budget was thirty one grand. That is, is that adjusted for inflation? No, I think that's well. I don't know. It's so either it's, way, it's crazy cheap. Even if it's not, it's still uh, real, uh, very inexpensive. Yeah, yeah. I do want to talk a little bit, and you kind of did get into it, uh, and has a lot more information than, than I had. But I was going to add as far as just the the area of Bengal in, in general. So if you think of India, kind of hanging off the bottom part of Asia there. You have, you know, the Indian Sea, of course, but then that's kind of subdivided into it's the Arabian Sea on kind of the Saudi Arabia, Iran, Pakistan, India side. And then on the other side with uh, Myanmar and kind of, you know, with uh, Thailand hanging out over there, that's the Bay of Bengal. And then so then the top part of the Bay of Bengal, if you're going to have like a, oh, just the north end where it kind of meets Asia there and kind of like a little, uh, it's, a, it's a bay. It's the Bay of Bengal. And then Bengal is at the top of that. And so, again, it just had to have this distinct language and distinct people. And in the past, it just had a lot more. So we see it in the early 20th century as just kind of a very poverty-stricken area. But it had a kind of more glorious history with a lot of seafaring power. And it was it's actually a pretty formidable force back 2,000 years ago. And trade was important. And Roman-controlled Egypt was, you know, trading with the Bengal area, you know, via the sea. 
did have the Islamic influence and it became uh, something called the Bengal Sultanate in the 14th century. And then that was later absorbed into the Mughal Empire that we've talked about as kind of being on the periphery when we dealt with uh, Tukaram, the old poet there. So again, a, a very culturally and historically rich part of, of the world. Yeah, which is why, you know, you can totally sympathize with the people who live there when all of a sudden the British government says, hey, now you're part of Pakistan. And then the Pakistani government says, hey, yeah, you know, you're that language that all of you speak there. It's not the national language anymore. Now it's Urdu. Oh, and also don't even think about protesting because now public assembly and protests are against the law, which is exactly what happened. Wow. Um, and then, you know, they they protested anyway. And that was the uh, one of the main kind of kicked off their independence movement um, all the way back in uh, in 1952 with the University of Dhaka protests where the, a bunch of them got killed basically for having an illegal uh, staging an illegal demonstration or what the Pakistani government said was an illegal demonstration because they didn't want to have to speak Urdu. You know, they didn't want they, they wanted to, you know, maintain some Bengal identity and then. You know, eventually they did get Bengali was added as a national language of Pakistan in 1956. But by that time, kind of the damage had already been done. And right, throughout blood, the 60s, yeah. yeah, throughout the 60s, there was basically a genocide in what is now uh, Bangladesh. And uh, it led to a the Bangladesh independence war. And uh, the deciding factor was that India uh, basically sided with Bangladesh and is just one of the many, many reasons why India and Pakistan, at least the governments of India and Pakistan, basically hate each other right. uh, to this day. Right. Uh, tensions there are always super, super high. But like you see in this movie, so, you know, the, the movie takes place in, you know, somewhere that before 1947, that was just people were just neighbors like that was just, you know, where they lived. And then in 1947, all of a sudden there's a hard line drawn and a border fence is put up. At least that's the case on the, uh, the Western side of India. And now it's, you know, these are two separate countries. Right. Almost when you allow, you know, people a little more freedom with where they can kind of work and live, there are fewer problems. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you could, you could almost have an entire podcast series all about well, people devote their entire life study to it, but just about how, and I don't want to villainize the British unnecessarily here or make it sound like they're the only uh, empire that did messed up stuff, but the way that they drew borders kind of causes cause problems a hundred years, yeah. Not not even in a roundabout way. A lot of that is like the direct cause of a lot of the problems that are still going on in the Middle East today. Yes, because they just they weren't doing it with actual human beings in mind. It's just stuff on a map. And yeah. again, it goes back to what we've talked about before about them saying, you know, I, it was it was almost it's white supremacy. The British Empire was were, were essentially white supremacists, if you think about it. Yeah, well, and just kind of the, the way that they looked at India was, oh, well, the Indians, they don't really know how to rule themselves we need to go teach those backward savages how to do it, you know. Right. Uh, we need to teach them how to become proper human beings like us British. But again, and th they weren't the only empire to do that. Obviously, 
we live in America, which is uh, not without blame, you know, for causing problems in, in other places in the world. But uh, I think next week for the listeners, when we talk about Lawrence of Arabia, that region too, and that's actually a, a, a big part of that movie is is how they the European powers want to divide up the Middle East basically for themselves with absolutely no regard for the local cultures, what, you know, groups of people actually live, where. It's just all about how are we going to carve out this land for ourselves, boys. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie is a 98% uh, with 43 reviews. So basically, there's that one person who apparently didn't like it out of 43 critics. And so boo to them. Because again, even though it was a little slow... And I thought about kind of taking a break halfway through, but not, I did. I, I didn't. I, I don't think I even hit pause. I watched it straight through. But yeah, it was a little slow. But it was beautiful. It was a beautiful film, and uh, I, I do highly recommend it. And I, I, I will try at some point to maybe finish this uh, finish this trilogy. So yes, and we are going to be spending the next few weeks on World War One. So this movie kind of leads us right up for the early 19 teens. That means World War One is just around the corner. So tune in next week when we will be discussing Peter Weir's Gallipoli. Gallipoli.